I have been talking recently about being strong. Last week I talked about being strong and we looked at the temptation of Jesus and how he was strong in those circumstances where he's in conflict directly with Satan himself. Well, you know, and, and we know that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. And indeed, Jesus did not use carnal weapons to deal with his enemy, but rather he leaned on the word of God. He leaned on the character of God, God's attitude and nature. And that's, that's how he did that battle. It's how he handled it. He was strong in that moment. The week before that, we were talking about out of Ephesians uh, chapter 6, we were looking at what Paul had to say, 6 verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. All throughout Scripture, we see moments in time where God is encouraging his people to be strong, to have the power to do what you need to do in the circumstances. And of course, we know that in order to be strong in his might, we have to lean on his way, his character, his nature, his precepts and commands are what make us strong. It isn't something that you and I uh, muster up and stir up inside of ourselves. Yeah, we need to motivate ourselves. Those are helpful things, but we have to understand that the real power to succeed in this difficult and challenging life comes from God himself and following God's ways. And so Paul was giving us instruction, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might, therefore put on the whole armor of God. Well, the whole armor of God doesn't look like human armor. It looks like God's character, God's teaching, things like salvation and righteousness and peace and etc. those kind of things that are part of the armor of God. We're to put them on. Why? So that we can be strong, so that we can withstand. I don't know about you, but sometimes I get really tired of being weak. Not weak physically. I'm, I, you know, I never was the tough guy physically. Uh, you know, there were guys that hung out in the weight room in high school, who were like getting all buff for sports and stuff like that. And I avoided that at all costs. Guys like me got beat up by guys like that. And uh, so I, I was never really particularly physically strong. But uh, I want to be strong in an internal way, in a spiritual way. Strong so that when things, the battles of life are coming my way, I have, I have the power in my, in, inside of me to navigate and deal with those difficult circumstances. And the scripture is full of instruction for us about how to be strong. What about, what about you? Could you use a little more strength? Do you at times run into those circumstances where you think, oh, I wish I could be more strong? Maybe it's something like caving into an old bad habit. Oh, I wish I had the strength to withstand falling into my old ways? What about losing your temper with a loved one, being angry, giving in to anger, or other emotions like jealousy or fear? Don't you sometimes stop and go, man, I wish I was a little stronger in this circumstance so that I could stand in this moment and, and do the right thing and be the person I need to be so that these circumstances uh, remedy themselves so that God is a part of it rather than me just stepping in and all of my weakness and making a big mess out of the situation. What about insecurity, anxiety, depression, things that we, uh, yeah, we deal with the natural side of those things, but there's a part of us like, how do I become stronger in my mind and in my soul and in my spirit that when these difficult things are happening, I have the power to overcome and to navigate them? Could you use some more strength? Anybody want to be stronger? I want to be stronger. The fact is, just the irony of preparing for this message, I was out on a walk yesterday, and I'm like, I'm going to preach about being strong tomorrow, and I don't feel very strong, God. How do we do this? It's very challenging. Be strong in the Lord 
and the strength of his might? What about giving in to things like lust or unhealthy thinking? Boy, so I've you know, visit with a lot of people that struggle in that area. It's like, man, I wish I was stronger. I wish I could resist the temptation. You know, Jesus himself, face to face with Satan, was able to navigate the temptations that came his way. I wish I could be that strong. I could use more strength. I don't want to be weak. I don't like to be weak. Weakness makes for a little bit more difficult journey, and yet we understand that in our broken and sinful world, we're weak. And God steps in and he is strong for us. There needs to be a transition in each one of our hearts between being self-reliant and being reliant on him. And every single day, you and I are making decisions all throughout our day where am I going to be dependent on myself and my own personality and my own self-will and my own strength or am I going to make a transition to where I defer to the strength of God and let his character, his nature, his ways begin to be what dominates my thinking and and integrates itself into my behavior and changes. Well, I want to look at somebody who was very, very strong in the Bible, although he was very strong physically, and his name was Samson. How many of you know Samson? Samson, uh, I'll tell you the story of Samson. We're not going to read the whole thing today. I don't have time to get into all of the things, but... Um, when before Samson was born, there was an angel of the Lord that appeared to Manoah and his wife and said, you will have this son. This is in the book of Judges. We're talking ancient history here. This is before Israel even came under a king. You know, before David or Saul, there, there were judges in the land and, and God raised up these heroes. And the book of Judges, if you read it, it will challenge you because you're talking about a very different time and a very different world. And God wanted to raise somebody up to help deliver the Israelites from the Philistines. And an angel appears to Manoah and his wife and says, you will have a son, and, and he, will, he will begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. Well, many of you are aware of the story of Samson and how physically strong he was, the strongest man that ever lived, as far as we can tell. And he had some amazing, um, beyond human things that he did in this life to help deliver Israel from the Philistines. But even though Samson was very, very strong physically, he didn't turn out to be particularly strong morally. He didn't didn't resist temptation quite like he should. He wasn't able to hold his ground in the spiritual realm, although he did well for God in many ways in the natural. Samson was a Nazarite, and if you understand the Old Testament, they had a thing called a Nazarite vow. And you would take a vow for a certain season and you, you wouldn't cut your hair. You couldn't drink alcohol or anything like that. You couldn't eat anything off the vines. You couldn't touch anything dead. There, there was very specific guidelines to taking that Nazarite vow, meaning that you were, you were dedicated completely to God for a season. But we do see in Samson's case, uh, the angel of the Lord said he will be a Nazarite from birth. So from the time Samson was born, he was to never cut his hair. He was to never... to drink alcohol or eat food that came from the vine or to touch a dead body, those kind of things that were considered unclean under the Jewish law. And God was raising him up to be a powerful force. He was indeed very strong. We see a number of circumstances in Samson's life. This is a fascinating story. I mean, there's a story where a lion comes out and attacks, and it says he he rips it open like you would open a young goat, which all of us are familiar with, right? Right? 
But in those days, it just, you know, that soft skin able to tear it with your bare hands. He tore open the lion with his bare hands. We see a situation where um, he, he it's, it's a long story. He gets a wife from the Philistines, but then they give his wife away to somebody else, and he's mad about it. No surprise. says he catches 300 foxes. Have you ever thought about the logistics of catching 300 foxes? And he ties their tails together, and he puts torches in there, and they go running through the land and burn up all the crops and everything. Uh, Samson was trouble for the Philistines. One time he, uh, so the Philistines are mad and they come up, they want to capture Samson. This Israelite who's starting to cause trouble for the Philistines, they come up to Israel and they're like, hey, give us Samson. So they tie up Samson and they take him out there and Samson just snaps off the ropes and he grabs the jawbone of a donkey. Jawbone of a donkey and he kills a thousand Philistines with that jawbone. And then he just throws it on the ground and walks away, and they name the place after that jawbone. He was ridiculously powerful. I mean, we find it hard to even believe a story like that. It's so crazy what Samson was able to do. Samson had an issue with prostitutes, and one night he was um, staying in a town with a prostitute, and the, the village men were gathering together to maybe capture him. And he just walks out, nobody touches him, and he rips the city gates and the bar, it says, right out of the ground. This is in Gaza. And he carries them all the way to Hebron, or Hebron, which was nine miles away, if you dig in and look. He picked up the gates of a city, ripped them out of the ground, and carried them nine miles. What an intimidating and powerful person but only physically. Because when it came to moral issues and, and doing what God wanted him to do, Samson struggled. And before we get too critical of Samson, let's remember that you and I do too when it comes to being strong with the things of God and the difficulty and temptation that comes our way. But Samson's story really starts to draw to a close with a woman named Delilah. And you may remember some of the old movies, you know, the you know, 50s, 60s, 70s, there were movies made, and I remember one that was about Samson and Delilah, and he loves Delilah, but she's a Philistine, and, and she's working with the enemy to capture him, and she's begging him to tell her the, what is the secret of your strength? Now, I don't know what Samson looked like. I mean, when you picture Samson, obviously he's got long, long hair, because he's not supposed to shave his head, he's not supposed to cut his hair. In modern times, some people still kind of do that. Uh, dreadlocks, some people think, is kind of the way that they would have managed hair, things like that. I don't know what he looked like. I, I like to sometimes just make myself laugh and imagine that Samson was just a really skinny, slight guy who went out, out you know, and everyone thought, oh, we can capture him, and then he goes out. and I, I don't know if he was. I have no idea. Uh, you know, the, 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 very, the uh, underweight nerd with the glasses I can identify with, because I grew up that way. And so I sometimes like to think maybe Samson was not quite so impressive to the eye. And it wouldn't be surprising for God to do something like that. But we don't know what he looked like. But Delilah would say, what's, what's the secret to your strength? And he would tease her. You know, he's like, oh, if you tie me with all these new ropes, I'll be as weak as any other man. So she tries it, and he just breaks the ropes off. And, you know, Samson's not particularly intelligent. He keeps going back for more from this lady. 
And she begs him, tell me what makes you strong. Oh, if you tie me with weak ropes. Oh, if you weave my hair into the loom, which I don't even understand how any of that works, and then you pin it, then I'll be as weak as any other man. And and so she's getting really frustrated because he just wakes. She's like, oh, the Philistines are here. And he just wakes up and breaks off whatever she's tried to tie him up with. I mean, I don't know why he's not suspicious by the third time. But it says... Uh, in Judges chapter, uh, I don't have the chapter, it would probably be chapter 15 or 16 in Judges. And when she pressed him hard with her words day after day and urged him, his soul was vexed to death. Many of us can identify with that feeling, right? Someone's just nagging you all the time until you're vexed to death. He gets so frustrated and he told her all his heart and said to her, a razor has never come to my head. For I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's room. He's been dedicated to God from his birth. If my head is shaved, then my strength will leave me, and I shall become weak like any other man. And Delilah realizes this is true. And while he's asleep, apparently he was a hard sleeper, she, sha- she had a guy come in and shave his head. And it actually says something very interesting when you read that passage. Uh, she, she made him to sleep on her knees, and she called in a man... And had him shave off the seven locks of his head. They must have been big locks. Then she began to torment him, and his strength left him. And she said, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. And he awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out as all the other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. Samson had finally gotten to a point where God removed himself. I mean, we talk about the hair, and because he shaved the hair, and somehow he had magic hair, but it really wasn't about the hair. It was about the fact that God had a purpose in his life, and it designed him for a reason, and he continued to forsake that, and when he finally gave up this Nazarite vow, and she was allowed to shave his head, God left him, and Samson became as weak as any other person, and he was captured, and the sad thing is that they gouged his eyes out, and they put him in the prison, and he worked in the mill there, and, um, you know, but his hair started to grow back, and well, they're having a big party one day to celebrate that they had finally captured Samson, who had caused them all this trouble all these years. And they bring him in. They say, bring Samson in to entertain us. And Samson goes into the party. It's a uh, big building, and apparently there's a couple of main pillars that hold up the whole facility. And Samson asks the young man who's leading him, because he's blind now, to the pillars that hold up the house, that he would lean upon them, he said. And so he takes him there, and when Samson gets there, he says, he says this, Then Samson called to the Lord. Samson cried out to God, O oh Lord God, please remember me, and please strengthen me only this once, O oh God, that I may be avenged on the Philistines for my two eyes. And it says, And Samson gra- grasped the two middle pillars on which the house rested, and he leaned his weight against them, his right hand on one and his left hand on the other. And Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. And he bowed with all his strength. And the house fell upon the lords and upon all the people who were in it. So the dead whom he killed at his death were more than those whom he had killed during his life. Then his brothers and all his family came down and took him and brought him up and buried him between Zorah and Eshtal in the tomb of Manoah, his father. He had judged Israel. 20 years. Samson's story is a tragic story of a man with purpose and power from God, physically strong, 
great possibility in his life and what he could do for God's people. But Samson gave that up in weakness of his soul and his morality. He wasn't strong in the Lord, but we do see this in the end of his life. What did he do? He called out to God. He cried out to God. Have you ever actually cried out to God? In a moment of desperation. Now, it's hard for us to wrap our head around the Old Testament. I mean, when Jesus came and brought a new covenant to his people, things dramatically changed in the world. And so when we look at some of these Old Testament stories, it can be very hard for us to grasp what was going on and why. Why did God raise up someone to kill Philistines? Why did, why did he cause this man to have such great strength? It's very interesting. But still, even in those days, Samson cried out to God. And when you and I are in those difficult situations and needing to be strong, we're not called to tear down buildings and kill people. That's not the covenant we are under. But we are called to be strong. Are we crying out to God for our strength? I want Samson's strength. I want a strength like Samson, but not in a physical way, in a spiritual way. How do I do that? And the scripture is full of instruction for us about how to be strong. I want to look at Isaiah chapter 40. And the last verse we'll look at is familiar to many people. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. So we start to see in this passage of Isaiah that we are not everlasting, but He is. We did not create the world. We don't have control over this stuff, but He does. It's drawing attention to the fact that we are little, and He is not. He's large over all things. He doesn't get tired like we do. He's beyond our understanding even. He's so significant of a being, far beyond us. We can't put God in a box to understand Him. We can't define him. We can try and define him in human terms, and we will and we should because we're trying to know him and know him more. But we always need to realize that his understanding is unsearchable to us. It's beyond us. He gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youth shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. Even the strongest among us is still weak compared to God. In the circumstances of life, we all grow tired and weary. None of us is exempt from weakness. And yet God is the one who gives power to those who are weak. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary, they shall walk and not faint. Remember last week we talked about the interpretation of Scripture. Does this mean you literally need to go out and be able to run 10 miles and not get tired in order to prove you're a Christian? No, it's metaphorical. We, and that's what we do in life. We're running, we're striving, life's a journey, and it gets wearisome at times. But I want to renew my strength. I want fresh strength every day to navigate the onslaught against my soul that occurs in my life, that warfare we talked about that operates on principles that are beyond the natural. 
You probably have seen this scripture. It's on knickknacks and signs and things people put on their wall or put on coffee mugs and things like that. Those that wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. True strength comes from the Lord. This is a significant promise for you and I to lay hold of. You know, I look around this room, I know a number of testimonies of moments in people's lives where it was desperate, it was difficult. We were struggling physically, we were struggling in a relationship, we were struggling with all kinds of things in life, and we need to go to the Scripture and remind ourselves that those that wait for the Lord will renew their strength. Those that look to Him, those that wait on him. In one sense, we could say, what does renewing your strength look like? Well, we know first and foremost that the scripture teaches us about salvation. And the big picture point of view of this is that God renews us at the end. We look at um, what Paul had to say to us in Philippians chapter 3, verse 20. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ who will transform our lowly bodies to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. What do we see in the promise of Scripture from an eternal perspective? That one day this weak and wearisome flesh that I carry around will be transformed to be like Jesus' body. Imperishable. I don't think I can dislocate my shoulder in, in the next body, right? That's what I did a couple weeks ago, dislocated my shoulder. It's weak, it's frail. But someday I look forward to having a renewed strength that's beyond even my everyday-to-day life kind of strength. It's an eternal picture. Those that wait upon the Lord, those of us that have put our trust in Him, those of us that put Him in the position of King in our lives, we will be transformed someday to have a body like His, eternally not weak and frail, broken by sin and oppressed by the things of the world. So we look forward to that day of eternal transformation. But in another sense, we can look at this promise in a day-to-day way. In Ezekiel chapter 34, verses 15 and 16, it says this, I, being God, will tend my flock. Here's another reference to us being sheep. Remember, we talked about being warrior sheep, not particularly impressive, But hey, we're warriors, right? That's what we are, but we are also sheep. We're his flock. I will tend my flock and make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost, bring back the strays, bind up the broken, and strengthen the weak. But the sleek and strong I will destroy. I will shepherd them with justice. Here we kind of get a little bit of a picture of God is tending his flock. He's constantly mending and rescuing and and searching out and and dealing in a just way, in a day-to-day way for us. God wants to strengthen us. Look at this. And strengthen the weak. When we are weak and we begin to depend on him, he will give us strength. Let's go back to that promise in Isaiah 40. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. What does it mean to wait for the Lord? I've got a uh, photo here for you. Let's go to that next slide, Carter. One more. This is not in the Bible. But this is what a lot of us think of waiting. 
So what does it mean to wait for the Lord to renew my strength? Some of us do kind of have this attitude about it. I want God to do what I want him to do in my time. So I'm waiting. Hello, God. I have a plan. I'm getting tired of waiting for you to step in and do it for me. I mean, your, your word says I need to wait on you. That's not the attitude that the Scripture instructs us to have. Now, I'm, I'm joking, but the reality of this attitude is very significant in my life and in all of our lives, I think. Because we have an expectation and an understanding that things ought to be a certain way, and they ought to happen in a certain order. And it's not happening that way, so maybe some of you look like this when you're waiting on God. I wish you would do what I want him to do, and I want him to do it now. Impatiently waiting. But that's not the sense of this word in Scripture. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. What does it mean? They who wait, or some of you, uh, your translation will say those who wait. It's just one word in the Hebrew, and it conveys an idea of being expectant and looking forward to with kind of an eagerness and a hopefulness. It's a lot like faith, really. Faith is being sure of what we hope for. It's, it's more than just hoping It's more than just thinking it's true. It's actually believing at a heart level with an expectation that that, that there's more. It's not just superstition. It's a deeper belief and a sense of expectation and hopefulness. God is calling on us to look to him in faith with a hopefulness that he will be our, our strong tower, our strength, the one who renews us. Psalm 121, verses 1 and 2. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Have you ever been in a moment where you don't, you almost don't even know what to pray anymore? You like don't have the words anymore. You're so desperate in a difficult situation. So, so weak, so broken, so behind the eight ball, we say difficult situation where you just go, how am I going to deal with this? How am I going to overcome these circumstances? How are we going to succeed? It is so hard. And that's when we go to the Word of God and we have passages and promises like this. I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where will my help come from? How am I going to deal with this situation? My help comes from the Lord waiting on the Lord, looking to the Lord in expectation that he will give me the strength or whatever it is I need to navigate this difficult moment I find myself in. Where are your eyes focused? When it says, I I look, I lift up my eyes to the hills. Okay, you literally could go outside and lift your eyes to the hills and think that God's going to do something. Again, we understand that's not really what it means. I'm looking beyond my circumstances. I'm looking up and out into the heavens, really, and saying, where is my help going to come from? And I wonder, if you're in a position in life where you need strength, or you're going into a moment in time where you really need help, and if we're honest with ourselves, we need it every day, don't we? In, in the little ways and the very big ways. What do we do? Lift up your eyes and look and wait upon the Lord. Put your focus on Him. Look to Him to be your Savior and your help. I want to talk about 
You know, we, we looked at Jesus last week and how he navigated this situation with Satan himself. And I want to look at Jesus just for a few minutes as we wrap up today about how he was, how did he renew his strength? How did he look to the Father? What are some, I just want to focus in on one particular kind of idea here that I think is very important for you and I. In Mark chapter 6, verse 31, we see a situation here where Jesus has just sent out his disciples and, and they're out doing ministry and they're accomplishing a lot and it's going very well, but they, they come back and he says to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. Now I hope that some of you really think about this. Jesus said this to his disciples. This is something I want to carry around in my own heart, knowing that Jesus himself not only gave permission, but actually insisted or encouraged that we would go to a desolate place and rest a while. What does it mean? to? This is one aspect of waiting on the Lord. See, we get caught up in the chaos and the stress and the nonstop pressure. There's a cartoon actually that just came out. What's the name of the cartoon that kids have been watching the, uh, with the Colombian family? Disney. What is it? Encanto? Is that how you say it? How many of you have seen this show? Okay. Well, some of you are going to be lost, but there's a song in there where uh, one of the girls who's like Samson, she's super tough, like way stronger than everybody else, but she's under pressure all the time. And you guys, this music's starting to go in your head, isn't it? So I could drip, drip, drip. Okay, hang on. You'll be singing it the rest of the day. But it's, it, there is, there's that constant dripping pressure. Do, 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 go, go, go. How can I wait upon the Lord? I can't even hear him right now. I can't feel him. I can't sense him. I'm too busy. Things are too chaotic and too difficult. But even Jesus himself encouraged us to be in a quiet, desolate place. What does that mean? It means step out of the chaos. You see, God, we were talking about this this morning in huddle. We get together in the morning and pray and talk about the day before the services. And Jen brought this up. The presence of God is always there. He's always, always, always there. We talk about it like we're inviting him from heaven to join us. But the presence of God is actually always there. God is, I think God is always speaking. I don't think God once in a while just says something in English like we think of communication. I think his presence is right there all the time speaking. The issue is that we're not listening. And it's not realistic that we can listen all the time anyway. We do have things to do. We have a life to live. We have jobs. We have family. We have relationships. But the scripture encourages us, and Jesus did, to stop and take the time to quiet. Go to a quiet place. Settle down. Where are you going to renew your strength? By quietly pursuing God in that quiet place where, where all the stressful voices can quiet down and you actually have a moment where you can focus on God. God, what are you, what are you encouraging me with? Lord, how do you want to strengthen me today? How do you want to refresh my soul? God, I've taken this time to focus on you, to make you a priority in my life. Lord, help me draw strength from you. In Matthew chapter 14, verse 13, Jesus has just found out that John the Baptist has been beheaded. Keep in mind, John the Baptist is his cousin. And, uh, you know, he's a, he's a powerful, uh, godly man in the world at that time. 
And he's just been executed. And when Jesus found out, finds out, it says, Now when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. Even Jesus grieved. See, we understand that Jesus suffered like we suffer. Though he's the Son of God, though he's God in the flesh, though he's the perfect sacrifice without sin, he grieved. He needed to rest. He needed to seek the Father for strength. And I think, I think God designed that so that we could look at Jesus' life and see the example of who he is. Even in his moment of grief and realizing this powerful thing that's just happened in the world, what does Jesus do? He separates himself. I think it's an important lesson for you and I. How do we wait upon the Lord that we could renew our strength and mount up on wings like eagles? To run and not grow weary, to walk and not faint, we have to take the time to be with God. And you, you don't be with God in, the, in, in chaotic conversations and stress and all those things. You re, he's right there. He's always there. And we always need to recognize that he's there even in the stress and chaos. But we also need to then take the time to quiet ourselves and go to a desolate place and seek him for strength. Luke chapter 6, verse 12. In these days he went out to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God. Jesus was very intentional about the time he spent with his Father, separating himself from all of the cares of the world, and he was up all night praying, being alone with God and really digging in in prayer. Like, you know, we say prayer at dinner time, and it's, you know, it's 15 seconds long, or we... But what about a whole night in prayer? How, what does that even look like? You know, and there's a whole other subject in itself. But it's that intentional pursuit of God that he would renew our strength. But now, even more, the report about him went abroad. And great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. And then in the Garden of Gethsemane, right before his crucifixion, we see that Jesus, he went out in the garden, he separated himself from his disciples, and he just prayed. He's seeking strength, and it says, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. <clears throat> Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. God will strengthen you. God strengthened Jesus. He went out and he's praying so earnestly like this, said he was, he was sweating like drops of blood. He was in such internal suffering. Like he hasn't even been harmed physically yet, but he knows what's coming that night to his physical body. He's in such internal turmoil, and he's calling out to God. And what does God do? He sends an angel to strengthen him. In times of great distress, Jesus withdrew and prayed. Very simple lesson for you and I. If we want to renew our strength, we need to wait on the Lord. And one of the ways we do that is by withdrawing from our chaotic schedule and chaotic life and taking the time to cry out to God, to pray, to ask, to seek. Not just a quick little two-minute prayer. Really take the time and see if God doesn't refresh your souls. Would you stand, please? Be strong. Be strong. Not because you're a tough guy, but because God is tough. God is strong. He is mighty. 
He will renew your strength. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit, Lord, would be ministering strength to those that need it. If you could use some, if you really just want to respond to God this morning, saying, God, I need strength, would you just lift your hand? Just respond to God. God, I need strength. And so in whatever way it is, physically, emotionally, spiritually, mentally, whatever it is that's coming to your mind that you need strength, God, you see the hands all over this place this morning. God, you see these people who say, Lord, give us strength. Lord, I pray in their faith-filled response, Lord, that you would meet them in this moment. And Lord, you would fill them with the strength to walk through the circumstances that they're facing. God, you are the loving Father who loves each one as children. And your children here today that are asking for your strength, God, I pray you would have mercy and grace and great love upon each one and strengthen them in Jesus' name. Lord, we're thankful for the promises of your scripture. Lord, we wait upon you. We look to you. We lift up our eyes. Our help comes from you. Praise you and we thank you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.